0: The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S. China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. My name is Margot Landman. I am Senior Director for Education Programs at the National Committee on U.S. China Relations. Joining me today on the NCUSCR China podcast are Robert Gottlieb and Simon Ng, authors of Global Cities, Urban Environments in Los Angeles, Hong Kong, and China. Bob is an emeritus professor of urban and environmental policy at Occidental College in Los Angeles, and Simon is an independent consultant and former chief research officer at Civic Exchange, a public policy think tank in Hong Kong. Bob and Simon, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: It's our pleasure. pleasure.
0: (laughs) Let's start with a definition. What is a global city? And why is it important to think about a city as global, especially as a resident? That is, what does it matter to Mr. Jones or to Ms. Wong if a city is global as he or she goes about daily life, including facing the challenges imposed by pollution, traffic congestion, and other urban problems?
1: Well, they tend, um, in fact, to be magnified in the context of global cities. They have uh, some of the cities we look at are major port areas, um, and there are uh, numerous uh, impacts on daily life uh, from the flow of goods that come through the ports and out to the ports and onto their ultimate destination. Uh, There are changes because of global cities positioning themselves both politically in terms of uh, communications infrastructure often that is represented in global cities, um, and more generally the economic activity that goes on uh, in relation to uh, both the nature of the industry in a city that looks outward and globally, as well as how sort of the the global production systems end up impacting, in, impacting those cities. We spent some time in the book uh, going through how um, global cities have been defined in the last twenty-five years, last thirty years. And one of the interesting things we noted is both Hong Kong, and Los Angeles, and um, many of the Chinese cities that need to be considered global cities, were not placed in that first tier of what were considered global cities, say, in 1980 or 19, even 1990. Um, and that's because of these very dynamic changes taking place in those regions, in those cities, that uh, really position them differently uh, in, in terms of the range of political, cultural, economic Social and, of course, environmental uh, issues that are associated with those changes.
0: Would you say that all large cities, however we define large, because that's different, let's say, in China than here, are by definition global? Is it population size? Is it globalness, whatever that means? In other words, is it the volume of people living together in a limited area that leads to the environmental issues you describe rather than global trade?
1: You know, I think uh, the uh, population and size are significant but not defining characteristics. It's really uh, the interchange between where you are in your place, in your city, and how you relate to um, other regions and particularly across borders and across oceans. Um, And that's the significance of putting global next to major metropolitan area. Um, And when you think about Los Angeles uh, as one example, it saw this uh, really vast expansion of Important global trade activities that were significant in that 30-year stretch that I was talking about. When you look at um, Hong Kong, Hong Kong is both gateway to, excuse me, gateway to as well as um, the connector to China and then out to Asia and increasingly to parts outside of of that continent. Um, And then China even more so, of course, you've had such a phenomenal change. And you wouldn't necessarily call all the large cities in China global cities, even though I think there's a desire to see oneself as a major player. But when you talk about Shanghai and you talk about Beijing, you talk about Guangzhou, I talk about Shenzhen even, um, the range of activities that are, are taking place there and the role they play in there these prime regions in China is what makes them facing outwards and global in nature.
0: Do you have to be coastal to be a global
2: city? I think you know there'll be an advantage for coastal cities to kind of getting closer to the outside world and having that external outlook Um, like saying for trade through ports. I mean it's natural then if you're a coastal city then you may have that component within your urban structure to have that characteristic. But I think, you know, being global, uh it is it could go beyond, you know, trade and economic ties. I think, you know, when it comes to environmental issues, definitely we explore, you know, the global perspective of environmental issues in the book. But also in terms of looking for solutions and looking for collaborations in terms of trying to address those issues. I think some of the cities are now also becoming global in terms of, you know, finding partners finding sister cities, finding you know collaborators to try to work together and then learning from one another and definitely LA and Hong Kong and some Chinese cities are now having the conversation.
0: I was thinking more of a place like Chicago or Toronto mm-hmm. which might not like not to be considered global even though they're inland. Mm-hmm.
1: Well they play major roles in a, in a regional context, they play um, Major roles in a national context, but less of a role globally. But that doesn't make them less significant, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make them uh, less prone to major environmental questions, um, and also doesn't make them less uh, uh, interested in the kinds of solutions that Simon was just talking about. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, both of, those are two good examples of cities that are. Quite environmentally focused. Mm -hmm.
0: If we argue that global trade has contributed to serious environmental degradation in a variety of ways, what does that say, if anything, about the election of President Trump and his America First rhetoric? Would it solve some of Our urban environmental problems, if the U.S. pulled back from the global trade system?
1: Well, I don't think there's a consistent policy that uh, is coming from the Trump administration on those kinds of issues, despite the rhetoric, the sort of anti globalization um, rhetoric. It it hasn't necessarily translated into an anti trade rhetoric. And um, there's discussion, at least in the context of the kind of one-to-one relationships that they want to establish, maybe well, some
0: pulling out of TPP,
1: re- pulling out re- of treaties, re- yes. Re-
0: negotiating NAFTA, he's certainly.
1: But at to the same same time, wanting to pump some money into the ports, on the on the eastern seaboard, um, and thinking about can we have one-to-one trade relations? Can we, you know, I I. I it's contradictory, let's put it that way, yeah. uh, and there, it's not consistent. And it's he's got people in his administration who are um, definitely globalists um, thinking about sustaining the kind of global system of um, exchange, finance, industrial development, trade, all those kinds of, of issues, whether they will set the policy of the administration is unclear, just as there are so many other things that are unclear of where that's gonna go. I think on the environment, however, uh, things are clear. Uh, The Trump administration is hostile to the idea of any kind of environmental, regulatory, and policy infrastructure. And uh, amongst his appointments, Um, the ones to EPA and energy um, most notably are really uh, designed to dismantle rather than um, be sort of more uncertain
0: it's clear why it makes sense to look at Hong Kong and Chinese cities, particularly the Pearl River Delta cities, they are right next to each other. Why though LA? What makes it a reasonable place for a comparative study with Hong Kong and Chinese cities?
1: For a number of reasons. I mean, just in relation to the issue around trade, um, much of the trade coming through the Los Angeles and Long Beach ports, which are the largest in the U.S. that More than 40% of, of all goods coming into the U.S. go through those ports. Mm-hmm. And much of that is focused on Hong Kong and China. And at the same time, the reverse direction uh, is interesting in relation to some of the initiatives to address the environmental impacts through that global trade system really originated in LA and have made their way across the ocean um, and have had an impact both in Hong Kong and now in China. That's just one illustration, but there are other kinds of relationships that are really significant. The Chinese uh, um, population of uh, not just immigrants, but, people coming over to do uh, various kinds of students' economic activity is is growing rapidly in Los Angeles. Um, investment is um, is significant and substantial um, that's flowing from China into, into Los Angeles. And uh, there's, uh, at the same time, one of the ways LA is indeed a global city is it's Um, diversity of activities, populations, cultures um, that is uh, significant in terms of thinking about places like Hong Kong which is also diverse populations at least in terms of uh, uh, sort of global populations that settle and China which is beginning to experience um, some of those kinds of changes and so LA becomes an important destination as well as a place of interest. And it goes both ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that leads nicely to my next question. The U.S. and Western Europe went through some of the environmental woes of industrialization before they hit China. I'm thinking specifically of air pollution, and you talk in the book about L.A.'s smog problems and Hong Kongs and anybody who is at all conscious of the situation in China knows about the air pollution there. Does our experience have any lessons for China and Hong Kong? And the reverse, does the experience of Hong Kong and Chinese cities have anything to teach us?
2: Well definitely, I think it's a two-way kind of interaction. Um, As Bob explained, some of the work that we've been working on in Hong Kong Actually, you know, started from you know, your experience in LA and Long Beach in California. Um, for example, the Clean Action Plan and how the community groups uh, have been empowered to you know, uh, voice out the concern about air pollution and the impact on their health, and how to drive uh, the government to you know, put up uh, stricter or better standards uh, for vessels and the fuel they're using. Um, and we, we took that on board in Hong Kong and then tried to you know, use our own uh, scientific research to justify you know, what would be the most effective control measures for ship emissions in Hong Kong. And with that experience and working with the um, academia and working with the business sector, you know, we have come up with our own formula, you know, something that we call the Fairwinds Charter, which is a voluntary scheme uh, for the shippers, shipping companies to use cleaner fuel. Um, and we took this experience and, um, to China and also share with them you know, what would be the outcome by doing that because China obviously they have uh, many more bigger ports than, than Hong Kong uh, nowadays and so you know, air pollution especially, uh, pollution is coming from ships and port activities um, I mean, it's uh, affecting uh, their, you know, uh, daily daily life, and, and that's why, you know, they, they took it also, you know, on board very quickly because they know they need to go all out, you know, and to deal with all the emission sources in China and Chinese cities in order to have better air quality, and so it, it's like a process that you know coming from LA and Long Beach with the experience, going through Hong Kong, but then we add some value and then try to promote in China. But then what happened in China and Chinese cities, especially in terms of commitment from the senior government officials and tightening of their emission standards and uh, environmental standards, um, the way they do it overnight, the, the way they commit themselves and work together with universities, um, with scholars um, to, to justify those actions. I think you know, the, uh, the swiftness of how that's been done It's also something that's been, you know, amazed in Hong Kong and also probably in in the U.S. Um, Now, of course, we also are a little bit, you know, concerned about how they enforce uh, the regulations. But still, they they can put out really good regulations and try to enforce it. So that's something, you know, in a way, Hong Kong in particular is trying to learn from China, you know, how to be that committed and determined to to make things right.
1: There are also challenges because the process, Uh, The the way change evolves, and it really, if you think about air pollution and the development of the Clean Air Act in 1970, um, and then the uh, further iterations in in California and then in the U.S., um, a a lot of it came about because of this interplay between um, community and environmental actions um, that pressured policymakers and uh, in turn, created some important um, environmental policy systems to deal with air pollution and improve improve the quality of the air. Uh, but it would, took time. I mean, the first air quality legislation really dates back to the 30s, um, and 1970 was a benchmark uh, because it shifted to the to the national government, and there continues to be uh, the Thinking about how to extend that, in China you don't have formal pressure from below, if you if you will, um, even if there's discontent from below that registers. Uh, but as Simon said, you do have once the recognition of uh, needing to deal with a set of issues is significant, uh, you can have rapid action, and you can put in place particularly with the use of new technologies, uh, significant changes. Uh, will it be across the board and deal with all sets of issues? There's a lot of uncertainty about that because it it does not only fly in the face of pressure from below, but some of the development strategies that have developed over time. And so there is a tension that works that way. In the US, the tension is, Is this environmental policy system gonna be dismantled because you have a new administration? Um, But is the pressure from below gonna be sufficient to stop that, whether it's through action or litigation? Um, In China, where you don't have the formal mechanisms of accountability from below, um, can those changes from the top end up with a, a really robust environmental policy system? Um, and uh, is it going to be implemented? So there, there are challenges that, that operate at, at multiple levels here, and environment, perhaps more than only any other issue, is one that really cuts to the heart of, uh, you know, what kind of livable and healthy places are going to emerge in this next period of time.
0: Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. Your comments have made me think of a whole bunch of new questions, but we'll have to leave it here. Thank you very much.